Okay, guys, so we've got a slightly different format tonight. We're going to be doing a, um, um, holding an interview um, with Titch and Joan Smith. Now, you may not um, know them, um, but they're our new best friends. And um, to, you, you can understand a lot about them by knowing that they're, they're very good friends of Mike Pilavacci. So that tells you a lot of what you need to know about them. Um, but they um, oversee a project that they pioneered um, in South Africa called Live. And they're over here visiting us. And um, this project is absolutely incredible. It exists to provide a home um, for orphaned and disadvantaged children and a, and, a, and a new start. And the whole thing is centered around Jesus in the most amazing way. They've got um, an unbelievable story, um, which you'll hear a little bit of tonight. Um, and they're just amazing um, individuals as well. Um, so we're delighted to have them with us. Um, so let's just welcome them. Um, so um, it'd be great to show the, um, everybody, just so you can get a picture of it, um, a DVD of, of the project. But, bef but just before we watch that, it might be helpful for you guys to just give us a, a bit of a backdrop of what are, what's the landscape, what are some of the challenges that you're facing um, in terms of um, you know, children, um, poverty, injustice, and so on. Um, gosh, where do we start? Uh, it, right now... Um, we just see the amazing growth and the transformation in the children, but also we have the, the, the difficulties that we face with the community that we live in, really, because that's our neighborhood, the Cottonlands community, where there's 15,000 people living and 80% unemployment. And that's the biggest, one of the biggest challenges we have at the moment is how to work better with them. It is recently... Um, Titch will, will talk more about that, but just recently um, they rioted against us and miraculously God protected us, but lessons learned is not to take them for granted, so we've got to learn how to love them more and do it God's way and really help to upskill them because there's such a lack of skills, there's a lack of fathers everywhere. Um, in our country and, and especially in these poorer communities. So those are the challenges that we face right now. Um, I, I think in South Africa at the moment we're going through a very difficult time. Um, as Joni said, over 50% of our young people are unemployed. Um, AIDS is rampant once again as children. Um, sex has become a hobby and they feel they're immune to this disease. Um, the government is going through a difficult time. Uh, five million orphaned children in our nation and 12,000 being orphaned every month. Um, but the thing that probably we have more rape and abuse against women and children than any other country in the world, a woman or a child is getting raped every seven minutes in South Africa. It's 170 a day. Uh, there's a lot of corruption with the government. Uh, but probably the biggest problem we face is the disparity between the rich and the poor. And an IMF survey a couple of years back unfortunately put South Africa as the country with the greatest disparity between the rich and the poor. But John, as we say, there, there is hope because the only solution and the only answer to these problems is Jesus Christ. And the church is well and alive. And so although we, we face these problems, we're very excited about what is going to happen. Absolutely. So let's take a look at the, the, the video of this project. It's amazing. There is a place in Durban, South Africa, in the heart of the KwaZulu-Natal Kingdom. It's a place where as the sun rises, you hear the laughter of children. 
It's a place of faith, hope, justice, and love. It's a place where our lives are being changed. It is our home. Live village. It started in 1997 when God gave Tick Smith, founder of Live, a vision to build a village. A village for orphan and vulnerable children to have a safe home, a mother to love them, food to eat, a school to educate them, and where they come to know God as a father in heaven. Tick and his wife, John Smith, who we call Baba and Kogo, works for eight years in the Maoti Township, helping the community in so many ways. There are over 5.2 million orphan and vulnerable children in South Africa and 12,000 are added every month. It was time to focus on the solution to this crisis. In 2010, Baba Smith paused farmland just outside the community of Cotonland near Durban. He and Coco invited 4,000 guests to a big banquet at the Durban ICC to share the vision of the village with governments, businesses and churches. At Love, we're focusing on the solution. If we put children into a home with a mother that loves them, I believe that the restoration of the family with Jesus Christ in the center is the solution to many problems we face in this country. If church, business and the government continue to work together, we can put a roof over every child's head, give them a mother that will love them, will feed and educate them to the glory of God, and this nation will be changed forever. On the 9th of August 2011, the first mothers and children moved into their homes and our story began. I am being raised up to become a leader. And I am going to be released as a star. From then on, the building of the village took shape. Today, all 96 houses are built and ready. At capacity, Love will be home to 150 mothers and 1,000 children. Our Love School has top education and sports facilities. Our creativity can flourish in our art and music centers. The ECD Center is a fun place for our little brothers and sisters to grow and learn. The Live Health Care Center provides us with social services, health care and therapy. Volunteer accommodations have been built for all the people who come to help. Common rooms for Inlela and Beloved Program providing mentorship for all the teenagers on the village and also a place to have fun. And at the center of everything is Live Church, held in the Live Multipurpose Hall, which is also a sports center and can fit almost 2,000 people. Our Sunday services and Promised Land Kids Church are for us at Live and our friends in our community. Next to the hall is our office wing, reception, love shops selling all the cool love products and love culinary school. So we're doing life here together and we just see God doing so many miracles in the lives of the children, in the lives of the mothers, the lives of the workers and even in our lives. Our lives have changed forever. 
we'll never be the same again since we've moved on to this village and we've lived with these children, we've lived with the mothers, we've, we've lived as a community, a community of believers. An important part of LIVE is to uplift our neighbors by creating jobs and providing skills development at our LIVE training centers. I work at LIVE since 2010. Working at LIVE has changed my life um, and my families. I work as a maintenance supervisor. I love working at LIVE. Baba Smith also knew that the village has to be self-sustainable to work for future generations. Leave business provides for the sustainability as well as to create jobs. Leave business is a 100% broad-based black-owned company. With us, the children of Leave Village benefiting 100%. We already have many partners and this is just the beginning. It takes a village to raise a child and we have seen many people partner with Leave from businesses to churches to governments. And also, sports stars, musicians, schools, mission groups, and individuals from all over the world. In 2014, we launched our first TV advert with all our ambassadors. You can be one too. Buy a live wristband from your nearest participating outlets. Support a child every month. Volunteer, raise awareness of funds. Live is change on a large scale. South Africa needs many villages. We believe that if we work together, we can give each child in South Africa a home and our nation will be changed forever. Together we can. That was... That was great. Just watching your faces while you're watching that, I was enjoying that. Um, but um, we're going to hear some stories from, from, from these two tonight. But um, there's, there's so many stories that we, you won't get the opportunity to, to hear. And they've got um, a book that they've written um, when Grace showed up. Um, I'm quite a slow reader, but I, it, it, it took me like a day to read it because you, you literally can't put it down. It's an amazing story. So I'd encourage you to... to to get that. You can pick it up at the back tonight. We may well run out, so you may need to find another way of getting it, but I'd encourage you to buy that book immediately. It's brilliant. Um, but one of the things um, that really come, came across to me in, that, in, in your book was um, when you look at all, you know, the nature of that project, it's so complex, it's so um, complete um, that, that you could be forgiven for thinking you two are sort of like these superstar mega Christian people um, but actually reading your story it's a story of, um, of grace and, and, and that God has been really with you through ups and downs it would be, be great to hear a little bit of your you know the background really to your own personal story and your, the way you found Jesus I have a vivid imagination and, and I have a picture of the father this, having a conversation with, with his son and he says, who are we going to send to do these villages? And there's Titch and Joan saying, send us, Lord, send us. And the father sighs, and he says, is there nobody else? And the son says, no, Dad, there's nobody foolish enough. And I think that that sums us up. He uses the foolish to confuse the wise and cracked pots. And the most important thing about the, about the book is really we wrote it to encourage people 
and uh, not for people to look at and say, oh, I could never do that, but to say, wow, if God can use those two old people uh, to do this, then w imagine what he can do through us. And I think that's, that's the important message that we want to get across. Yeah, I, I think mine was a very different story. I was brought up and born into the apartheid era, which was a horrific time in South African history. I had every opportunity as a white South African, um, educated at good schools. My parents gave us every opportunity. Um, there was no Jesus in our home. And I played a bit of sport, and I played, represented our country at cricket and played rugby for the Sharks. And then I fell to the things of the world, um, uh, drink and alcohol, uh, gambling, women. And, and I ended up at the age of 35 in a home for alcoholics and drug addicts. Uh, it was just before I went into the home that I gave my life to Jesus, hoping that this magic God was going to wave a magic wand and, and everything was going to be okay. But I soon found out he's not that kind of God. He says, he never said to us ever, he'd take us out of the valleys. He said to us, he'd walk with us through the valleys. And so he started, he took me by the hand and we started this amazing journey. But as I came out, my life fell apart. My wife left, my kids left, and I was destitute, owed millions of rands through my gambling debts. And uh, I ran away from my debt to Johannesburg, uh, another city in, in, in South Africa. Um, got involved in gambling again. Uh, as I said, sharing with John and Debbie this afternoon, I, I experienced everything the Bible talks about. The demons came back sevenfold. I drank more, I gambled more, and, and my life was a mess. Uh, it was... A real mess and then one day I cried out to him and I said surely God this is not your plan for me I can't stop drinking please take the taste of alcohol away and that day 27 years ago he set me free and I knew that this God was real and that's when I started to follow Jesus so so that was a turning point for you then what what led you to the point then where you where your heart was broken for these children yeah it, it it was after that that i started to pay back the debt i paid back all the money millions of rands that i owed and and Johnny and i got married in terms she'll tell you her story but we got married and we felt god bring us together for for his purposes and um and as god restored my life i went on a mission trip and i was driving back an eight-hour trip back home. And I said, God, surely there's got to be more to life than this, than going to church every Sunday, going to a cell group, men's camps I can't stand because I'd rather go with my wife. So I was finding church quite boring. Um, and I cried out to him that day. I said, surely there's more to life than this. And, and he said, build this village for orphan and vulnerable children. Create jobs for rural communities that they can sustain their families and the government will come and see why it works and we can point them to the cross. And it was a crazy vision. I'd never put my foot into a township in my life. He'd never given the poor thought in my life, never given children. I was a bad father to my own children. And now God gives us this vision. I was too embarrassed to tell everybody and I got home and I drew this picture so clear. I said, Joni, this is what God is asking us to do. And it was on that trip that I changed, I think, Johnny, from, from a Sunday-going Christian to becoming a Christ follower. 
and from the most boring lifestyle, and sorry, John, for the church. I hope I'm not upsetting your church. <laughs> but if we're honest with ourselves, being a Christian is a real boring lifestyle. But the day I changed from a Sunday-going Christian to becoming a Christ follower, it became the most exciting journey of my life. And, and so I'm so grateful for that day. And, and that's where the vision started. Um, and as you said, it, 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 uh, Joni can tell you sort of from there. But it was 12 years between getting the vision and a vision eventually the vision become in reality? Um, when I met Titch, I just lost my, my first husband had been murdered and by three uh, young teenagers from one of the townships. And I didn't actually want to hang around here. And I made a, a deal with God that, you know, as soon as my kids were, were grown up and didn't need me anymore, um, you know, he must take me home. I definitely didn't want another man in my life. Uh, my kids are in their 40s and they still need me. So I'm still here. And God sent Titch into my life very quickly. And you know what they say, beware the insur insurance salesman. Well, I didn't. And we were married within a year. And we, we, as Titch said, we knew that God was bringing us together for his purposes. And it was like a second chance for both of us. Uh, but we had no idea how, how to the extent of what he was going to do through us. And uh, when Titch came home in 1997 with this crazy story about we had four teenagers and all hell was breaking loose in our home and uh, you know we had had debt and we had all sorts of things uh, I, I said but you know where do we even begin how do we begin and I think that I think that's the biggest problem that we all have you know we, we because we don't know how to start we almost kind of don't do it and uh, it went on to the back burner because we were doing life. And then in 2001, we had turned our house into a guest house. And uh, two of the ladies working for us has, were talking about these starving children in this township called Amawati. would never heard of it. And it was so close to us. It was 20 minutes drive away. And it started to niggle in, inside of me. What can I do? And I think... I think that, that for me, um, it's a case of, of, of what have we got in our hands? And, uh, and I thought, well, the only thing I can do is make sandwiches, peanut butter sandwiches. And I don't know why I chose peanut butter, because kids are allergic to nuts these days. <laughs> so even that wasn't a good idea. But anyway, I got a group of ladies in the church to, to help me, and we started to make peanut butter sandwiches once a week. I was too frightened to go into the township, so I sent an African pastor and, and another lady in, and then they would come back and tell me what was happening. And, and then I thought, no, I've got to overcome my fear. And that's the next lesson I had to learn was, how, you know, we, we actually, so often fear stops us. And so I had to overcome that fear. Uh, um, so... I said they must take me in, and they, they didn't. And from that moment on, I never stopped going in. And I could see for myself these kids were starving. And we were feeding 30 kids under a tree, and it just grew and grew and grew to hundreds of kids, and you, you saw on the DVD. And it is, it is just in the going, you know, that, that, that once, once God, God's got you moving forward, he, He's kind of got you. And when you see for yourself... Uh, the need, you can't stop going, and it just builds into many projects. And I think, you know, as a church, you've experienced that already as you go, yeah. and it just grows. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think as Joni says, once you go, it was, that, that, that grew to 600 children. We had 600 children in the back to school program. We've got 32 creches, which are early childhood development centers where we feed two and a half thousand children every day. And, and, and then we planted the church. And so we were doing church. Uh, and it was there that we met Mike Pelavachi in the middle of that township one morning. And, and, and it was when I took Mike into the community to go and film that God really broke my heart for the things that break his. And I saw this young lady that had, they tried to rape her and cut her hand off with the ax and blood everywhere. And I walked into this Shabin, which is a, a, a tavern, a legal bar, and there were about 40 drunk men. And, and I went in there and I could see anger in some of their eyes and others started to listen as I started to, to tell them about Jesus. And as I came out of there, I felt God say that they are as vulnerable to the gospel as they are to the things of the world, but nobody's sharing the gospel with them. And he said, it's time for you to join Joni and go into the communities. And that's where we went in and we soon planted a church. And, and, and then it was in, in 2007. 2007, we had a crusade. It was the best month of my life. I felt, I was praying over the community and God said, checks will come down and houses will go up and thousands will come to know me. I said, Lord, but I don't speak the language. I don't speak Zulu. What do we do? He said, pitch a tent and preach the gospel. And so we pitched a 5,000 seater tent and we preached the gospel every night for 28 nights and thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus. And, and we had preachers from all over the country and gospel singers from all over the country. And, and we have evangelist at home called Angus Buchan. And he came down to preach. He said, Titchell, come and preach on condition you'll read this book called Passing the Baton. And it was when he came down, I read this book, Passing the Baton. I felt God say, give the business to our younger son and join Joan full-time in the communities. So that's, that's what happened. And I joined Joni full-time in 2007. And was that, was that the point where um, you started to, to revisit that vision of the village? Or how did, how, where did you, when did you get to the point where you started to think, okay, we need to push into that now? Yeah, I think, I think God, God takes you step by step, you know. And I think um, he's never going to show you the whole picture. I think if he showed me the village now, I'd head for the hills. You wouldn't find me. But every day he just showed us bit by bit. And, and as I went into the community, I felt God say to me, clear my desk and spend time with him, which I ignored. And then one day I was in the gym on the bike and I felt God say to me, do you love me enough to stop? And I said, stop what, Lord? He said, stop everything. So that came as a shock. We were employing 20 people. We were feeding 2,500 children. We had soccer leagues, about 40 to 50 teams in the soccer leagues. We had planted the church and now God tells us to stop. So I went home to tell Joni. She said, no, now you're hearing from the devil. That's definitely not from God. And, but she's a submissive wife. We went away for six weeks with our Bibles and we started to pray. And the 2nd of January, 2009, um, God said to me, the time for that village is now. So it was 12 years later and, and we had paid back the debt so we were able to buy the farm. But three things happened. You know, the first thing was that the vision became clearer over that 12 years. Secondly, and most Im more importantly, God had to work with us. He broke us down in that community where he molded us and equipped us for the work that he had called us to. And the third thing, often God does things in the background. And initially when we got the vision, we had tried to get land from government and they weren't interested. And in the 12 years um, since the vision and, and, and that 2009, there was a change in government. And I connected with government. And, and so that's, that's when it started. Wow. And then you got to the point where you, um, this big idea of this banquet. Tell us about that. Oh, Titch 
comes home, you know what it's like? It's a bit like working with Mike Pallavacci, you know, and uh, visionaries think macro. They don't think detail, you know. And he comes home and says, God says we must have a banquet for 4,000 people. He actually said 5,000. So I said, well, I hope Jesus is going to feed the 5,000 because I'm not a good cook. And fortunately, they could only fit 4,000 in. So, um, but that, but you know, he, that's what he said. We're going to do a banquet for four thousand, and and people said, you know, are you mad? Who will come and listen to about orphan children, you know, in in the middle of the week? And and but it was God's banquet, and we just a group of us just started to put it together, and miraculously. It happened, and that launched the village because God had told Titch to bring government, business, and the church together. And this this was quite perplexing for us because we knew nobody in government, and um, we, we knew plenty of church leaders um, and business leaders, um, but but the government. But but God had had it all worked out, and and it was part of His plan. I think things like that, I, I do want to honor Joan this evening. It's times like that where we, we knew we were on this journey together, but with the banquet, we didn't have any money to pay for the banquet. The banquet cost 100,000 pounds, and we didn't have the money. We've got to pay when you book the International Convention Center. So when I went to her and said, please, can we take a mortgage on the house? I truly believe God is going to raise the money in a night. I felt him say, we'll raise the money in a night. So she allowed us to take a mortgage on the house and things like that, which is incredible for somebody who, who gives up the security, but knowing that God had called us to do it. I remember reading the book, actually, at that point. That, that was one of the things that had the most impact on me, that um, almost in a casual way, you wrote, um, we, you know, we remortgaged the house um, and to do this. And you said, oh, it's just, that's one of those things you do when you know God's in it and you know it's going to be okay. And I thought... That's not one of those things that most of us do, um, but you did. It was a step of obedience, and uh, that, st- that, that, changed, that took things into a new gear, didn't it, for the project? Doors started to open, and you had some amazing... God opened some doors for you in an amazing way uh, through the next um, few months and years. Yeah, I think, I think what developed from the, from the banquet is we started to raise money actually in this afternoon, and, and we started to build the first eight homes. But we don't know what we're doing. I kept saying to people, we don't know what we're doing. Joan says, don't tell people you don't know what you're doing when you're asking them for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of brands. But we don't know what we're doing. But we know that God knows what we're doing, so we continue to trust him. And, and we built the homes, and then we had to build sewers. So we found people to build the school and build the homes. But nobody really wanted to put their names to the sewers. So I was battling to get money. So I went back to the premier, our premier, I said, please, can you give me some money? He said, I can't give you any money, but I'll open the door for you to go to cabinet. Cabinet is where our government meet. And, and um, I went and shared there the vision. And this is what the Minister of Health said. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I've just got back from Rwanda. I saw with my own eyes babies feeding off the breasts of dead mothers. He said, we're fast going down that road in this country if we don't do something about it. He said, how can we as the government stand in the way of God's vision for the children of this nation? He said, I support this 100%. I said to government, they mustn't give me any money if they want to have a say in running of the village. We believe that the Bible says government mustn't look after the children. He says, you and I must look after the children. So we said, if you want to give us money, give us grant money. The following week, I got a memo from cabinet to say all 13 government departments supported us, and they gave me seven million pounds. And, and then I realized that, 
that that God owns all things. He is all things. And if we continue to do what he's called us to do, walk in humility and obedience, that he's going to provide for every single child. And my prayer and my hope is that South Africa becomes known as the nation that look after their children to the glory of Jesus Christ as we put a home over every single child's head in that nation to the glory of Jesus. And I now know that it can happen because we serve a God that is a God of the impossible. And he says, don't limit me. Just continue to walk and watch what I will do. Isn't that inspiring? It's amazing. So, so we, we, we saw, we got a snapshot of the, of, of the live, uh, the village in the film, but um, bring us up to speed. Tell us some, what, what it's like there, some of the things that are going on. Um, I, just want to, I just want to go back a little bit. When we bought the farm, um, I said to Titch, the one thing, don't ever ask me to come and live on a farm. It would be my worst nightmare. And he said, that will never happen. And I, I know those of you who are married, you know, your husbands make some statements that are not always going to be correct. And within 18 months, he came to me and he said, I think God is saying, we've built the village, now we need to live it. And I said, that's fine, I'll help you pack and I'll visit you on weekends. <laughs> but you know how you know in your Noah that God is asking? He'll never push you, but I just knew inside that this was the next phase of the journey. And I'm, I'm really grateful. And right in the beginning, God said through one of our intercessory prayers, I'm only going to show you that much. And she described it as driving through the center of South Africa where there's no cities, no streetlights, and, and on a cloud, cloudy night. And you can only see what's in your headlights. But you trust the road is there. And, and he said, I'm only going to show you that much. So it, it, it's just this, this constant walk. But, but the, the, the faith grows as you walk. As you, you trust him more with, with each step of the way. Um, and he also said another thing. He, and the lady went like this. said, what does that mean? That looks terrible. She says, he says, don't, don't raise your heads and take any glory. Because we, we couldn't. We, we didn't know what we were doing. And so the whole way, we were able to say, only God. Only God can do this. I've forgotten the question you asked. Well, <laughs> no, no, that's great. Don't worry about that. We, you, let's just let's stick with you for the minute. So what was that, when you actually got in there then, um, what was that like? Moved. What was we that moved. like to move in there? Well, the first thing God did was I had it all worked out. We'd go and spend weekends in our beach house and, 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 and the week, during the week on, on the village. And the first thing God did was bring a company who offered us a bucket full of money to rent the house for a year. And we had to take all our personal stuff out. And he showed me that this is your home. And, um, you, you know, three years later, I actually thought we would never leave. And I was so fine with that. I, I just said, when I fall over, just burn me here, scatter my ashes, and everybody can walk over me, and I'll be very happy. And then when we came back from Soul Survivor in 2015, and as we came home the first Monday, 
uh, the, the lady was in our devotion time was, was talking about uh, Moses and, and Joshua. And we always said that God would show us when it's time to hand over the day-to-day -day running of the village. And we instantly knew that he was telling us, he's Moses and, and the, the new leader is Josh, like Joshua. And we just knew instantly. And then we also knew that we could no longer live in the manager's house because we're no longer managing the village. And so that was, that was um, when we handed over in, the, in January and we moved back. It was more difficult moving off the village because the children, we had got so used to living in community. And, and, and it's, the most, it's the most special thing when you live in community and, and you live in, as family. And, and you're a community here. It's the same type of, of thing where you, where you, you, you love to, to, to be together, to do things together. And the kids used to come into our home and just sit and read. You know, sometimes they used to pretend they were reading the books. We had books there and we knew they were, weren't, hadn't learned to read yet, but they would sit sometimes with the book upside down. But it was just we were teaching them what family looks like. Because the, 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 around the world, the, the institutions looking after orphans are failing the children because there's no love and there's no Jesus. But when you, when you create family life for them and recreate what it means, what it looks like, and teach them about family, that's the key because, because God is fa about family. I must tell you one story we the home was open 24 7 to the children so it was very beautiful i used to come in before school and and it was just the most amazing time and and these two little girls came in to visit gogo one afternoon and she was sitting on the couch and it was a small little farmhouse and the bedrooms came off the lounge so these two girls were in our bedroom looking at playing with the necklaces and everything and and this little girl she said gogo where's your bedroom so she said no that's the bedroom so she said where's baba's bedroom so she said, no, that's Bubba's bedroom. So she said, well, Gogo, is this your bed? She said, yes. Yeah. She said, where's Bubba's bed? She said, no, we share the same bed. We married, we share the same bed. She said there was silence. And then this little child, she was five. She said, Gogo, Jesus won't like that. <laughs> because we teach them they can't go into the boys' rooms or the girls' rooms. So we think it's not going in. She said, go, go, Jesus won't like that. <laughs> Is it, some of the children, as they're coming in, um, they're coming from such brokenness, um, it, reading some of the stories. Tell us about some of, the, some of the individuals that you've seen, just their lives transformed. It's the most beautiful thing, you know. I've, I've never understood what the love of Jesus is. But now I know what the love of Jesus is. I see broken children's lives have been transformed every day of my life. Children that have been raped and abused from three months old come on absolutely broken, filled with, with, with demons, so demon-possessed. Kids have been dedicated to witch doctors and, and, and at most horrific things. And as these children are loved and as they delivered from these demons, we see them come into the fullness and the wholeness. And, and I've truly got to understand what the love of Jesus is because we can do nothing, but there's nothing that he can't do. So for us, the greatest privilege is to see these children walking in and fulfilling and walking to the destiny that God has planned for each one. We've got children there that couldn't read or write when they came onto the village. They're now writing music. Their latest 
the, the, the EP that we launched with Tim Hughes and that got to number one in the UK charts here. We're so excited with our children singing with, with Tim. And we just see these incredible, incredible children. They've all got gifts and talents and God is nurturing them through this beautiful staff that we have. And the love of Jesus, it's, it's, it's all powerful. We read about it, we don't understand it. I now understand the love of God is what we, that's all we need is to love these children with the love of Jesus. You know, that was all we knew when we started, when the kids started coming in. And we, th we you know, you, we, when you have a vision of something, you imagine how it will be. And we always saw them happy in our imagination and, and fulfilled children and so grateful. Well, of course, that, that's, anybody's got children, <laughs> that's the opposite to what, the, what really happens. And, you know, we, we, we didn't know anything but to love them. And so we just showered them with love as they came onto the village. And, and we just saw them changing before our eyes. Most of them didn't, had never really received love before, so we, we, we had to show them what it was. So we were always hugging them and telling them how beautiful they are and how wonderfully made and how they've got a Father in heaven because that was what God showed us. Tell them and teach them that they've got a Father in heaven who loves them. And, you know, we have a, just to digress a little bit, we have this, this one room that's, that's called Abba's Lounge, um, and uh, if a child is really struggling in the classroom, they, they, they send the, the teacher will send the child to Abba's Lounge. And there's a lady there who takes them through, and she first gets them to sit on the throne. We've got like a chair, and it's the throne, and you're a princess or a prince uh, as a son and daughter. And then she puts a crown on their heads, and they, and they go and stand in front of the mirror. And she says, what are you? Who are you? And, she, and they say that they're a prince or a princess. The father in heaven is their father, and he owns everything. And she takes them, and then they can play in different areas. And the last thing she takes them into is a little teepee tent. And she says, now are you ready to go and spend time with your dad to find out what he wants to say to you? And they go into this little tent, and when they come out, they, she, she'll say to them, and what did, what did your father in heaven tell you? And every time the Lord has spoken to them, and, they, and they, what they say is absolutely spot on for that child. And, and it's, we just see miracles every day. It's like a daily walking. The naturally, naturally supernatural life is, is like the supernatural is natural. It's, it's the most them. beautiful room on, on the village. When children misbehave in the classroom, the teacher can't deal with it. She says, don't you think it's time to go and spend time with Jesus? And these children walk off to this prayer room. And they come back transformed. And it's just the most the stories that have come out of that place of broken children, the stories that they've had to deal with, and yet they know now that they have a Father in heaven that loves them. It's very beautiful. It's amazing how, um, you know, as, as you were sharing earlier, just um, the different initiatives that you have, and, and God is at work in the midst of, of as, as, as the young people get trained up to do different things. But you were you telling the um, story about how you've bought some horses into the village and uh, that had a real impact on, on one individual hadn't it? Yes, um, we've always spoken about the horses you know and wouldn't it be amazing because we've heard about horse therapy and we'd seen a clip on, on uh, horses for orphans and just amazing how God uses animals and especially horses to, to bring transformation with, with broken children 
And out of the blue, this lady who's a horsewoman who had her own riding school for many years um, phoned us and said she would, she's got these three horses and she would love to bring them to the village and, and she would love to work with the children. And these three horses were damaged. <clears throat> They'd been abused. So they were, all, you know, like almost dead. The one horse did die. And so when we told the kids, we're getting some horses, and they're also being abused, and you're going to look after them and care for them. And we just saw the miracle that God used these horses and used these broken children, brought them together. And some of the, the children that warmed to the horses just, it was transforming for both the horse, horses and the children. We've now got nine horses, and now we've just been given, whilst we've been away, we've been given two ponies. So we're, 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 we're almost like a stud farm. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the miracle that we are seeing of these children's lives being transformed, and, and how the children that have been absolutely silent inside, not being able to talk about their trauma, suddenly opening up. And the one child in particular, a little Indian boy who came and his mom had been, he, he'd been really abused and, and, and his mom had used him on the streets uh, to, to beg and he couldn't look at anybody. He was always looking down and, and, um, and, and we just couldn't get breakthrough with this child. And then he went and, and befriended this one horse that was biting everybody and kicking everybody. But Dylan and this horse connected. And it was so supernatural. And to cut a long story short, the, he's, he's taught this horse. Um, the, the, what we do is we don't, they don't just ride the horses. They have to look after the horses. They have to groom them. They have to feed them. And they, they have to talk to them and get to know the horse before they're allowed to ride the horse. And so Dylan started this process with this horse. And Titch brought one of his friends onto the village not so long ago. And he's, he's got a, a big stud farm. And he said to Dylan, what's wrong with your horse's ear? Because the horse's ear has been damaged. And Dylan looked at him straight in the face, which he never used to do. And he said, my horse has been abused just like me. And then you see him, and he, 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 he talks to the horse, and the horse listens. He makes noises, and the horse does exactly as he, as he asks. And he's, he's impossible in the classroom. The teacher says he just, she just can't get him to focus and concentrate or listen. And the one day, this child changed in the classroom. So the teacher said, Dylan, you're just so well-behaved now. I said, she said, what? How come? And he said, my horse told me to behave in the classroom. <laughs> we, <laughs> Brilliant. We're all asking, how did the <laughs> horse talk to you? How did he? And, and, he's, and he was so, it was so normal for him. He said he was riding the horse and moving the horse. And the horse turns his head and told me that I'm listening to you. You must listen to your teacher. So he said, well, God, you spoke through a mule. You can speak through a damaged horse. <laughs> Brilliant. That was brilliant. So, uh, I mean, you, you could at this point, you've done a good job. You could be like, okay, we're, you know, we've done our bit now. But what, That's is that what, what you I could, thought. <laughs> what's next? What, what's next for, for, for Liv? Um, I, at the moment, we, we're going through a difficult time with, with government social development. As, you know, we don't want to go into it in detail, but we've now found out that senior government officials 
the, the children are trickling in. They should be pouring in. We've got five million. They're trickling in, but we found now that social development, high government officials are involved in child trafficking. So investigating this and, and, and working with government, um, we really believe it's a spiritual thing and we know that we've won the victory. And so we're just waiting for the time to, to, to the, for this thing to unfold. But in the interim period, we've just taken over 18 homes that a company Unilever used to have around the country. So the another 108 children will come on to, into Live. It's going to be called Live Tokamala. We're going to leave those children in those homes. And we've just plugged churches underneath those children to let them become part of the church family such as this. So that's what's happening there. And then we, we're looking at another home in, in Durban where there are another 108 children. They've asked us to, to take that over from them. And we have land in Johannesburg in Cape Town. So we're really just trusting God. And as I say, that dream and, and, and I will watch from heaven. But I, I know that South Africa is going to become known as the country that look after their children to the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we just continue to walk. But I do truly believe, John, that it's the church. Um, you, I just look at the amazing work that you guys do. You know, one of the statistics that, that really is, is pains me is that there are 150 million orphan children in the world. If every church, not every family or every person, if every church adopted one child, there wouldn't be an orphan or vulnerable child in the world. And I believe it's the time for the church now. And, and I see the church, a real stirring. I just see what you guys are doing. If every church did what you guys were doing, this would be a different world. And so we really just want to encourage you to continue. And, and, and we're just, you know, getting so encouraged to see churches back home who now want to get involved. They don't know how or where. And so we're creating these opportunities to connect with churches and see the church working together in unity. And when it does, we know that it commands a blessing from the throne room of heaven. I think, I, mean, I know personally, I feel very stirred and inspired by this. And I'm sure people all around the room will be feeling that way right now. But, um, you know, seeing, hearing these stories um, on the other side of the world, um, I'm sure there'll be a number of people here who feel, well, I'd, my heart is stirred, but I don't feel qualified. Um, I don't feel capable of, um, you know, stepping out and doing that type of thing. What, what would you say to us? Encourage us. Well, he definitely equips you. He doesn't call the qualified. You know, you don't have to qualify first in anything. You just have to, to, in fact, all Jesus wants is all of you. And so when you say yes to the Lord, he will equip and he will teach and he will train. And, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing. And I look back and I say, I marvel at what, how God brought the expertise, brought, brought the, the right, you know, the doctors, the dentists. I mean, we can go on and on with stories about, you know, the, the, the doctor pitched up on our doorstep and we'd been praying for a doctor, knew we couldn't afford a doctor, and she was headed, headed up the ICU unit in the Royal London Hospital. And she and God showed her. She said that the Live logo kept coming up on her screen. She couldn't get rid of it. So she clicked on it, and God said, that's where you're going. And she said, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, and now she's been with us for, for a number of years. So, and the dentist, she just pitched up one day and said, I want to volunteer here. God sent me. And I said, well, what's your qualification? She said, I'm a dentist. And we said, we've got two dentist chairs that have been donated and kids with, with, with rotten teeth. You know, we've been praying for you. So it, it's the journey. Can I just say something there? Just with, with the, the, the doctor, you know, 
she was earning 10,000 pounds a month. She now earns 1,000 pounds a month. But she surrendered all. And when, when you're obedient to God's call, she's been on the village for three years, the most incredible doctor, looking after the village, and now we've opened a, a, a clinic in the community. The most incredible thing happens when you're obedient to God. She had been through a horrific divorce here in London. She hadn't been on the village 18 months. She's met a new guy, and she's just got married. How God blesses those that are obedient and totally surrender their lives. It's just an incredible thing to, to, to see. And we have many volunteers coming. So uh, we've had 15 marriages on the village over the last five years with people that have met from different, from different parts of the world. So when I was looking and I see the young people, here, I said, be careful if you come and, you, and you're single because you may come back married. But, but it is an incredible thing. As Joni said, all God wants to say is, here I am, Lord, use me. And, and as you lay down your lives, how he will, he will go before you, he'll go behind you. And, and it's the most incredible thing to become a follower of Jesus Christ. For me, I, I, I always see pictures and um, I see us uh, and I look at our lives and we're like ships in the harbor tied to the world and kind of one foot in the kingdom, one foot in, in, in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And, and, and it's comfortable in the harbor and it's almost like the, 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 the church is the harbor. And so you're plugged in, but you're also plugged into the world. And, and, and the Lord is saying, untie yourself from, from the world, the things that hold you back, and come out into the ocean. Because when we're in the ocean, it's unpredictable. We don't know which way to go, but God knows, and he can move the rudder. So if we're going in the wrong direction, he will always move us. And I think that too often we wait too long, like us. And I think that if you, if, you, if you understand and if you can daily say, Lord, what do you want to do through me today? You'll be utterly amazed at what he will do and the people he will bring across your path. And that's when you become a real Christ follower. Because it, and it will be the most exciting thing because you'll begin to recognize it. So it's really what have you got in your hands Mine was peanut butter sandwiches, and I had no vision beyond that once a week. <laughs> oh, that's right. Tish, Jane, that's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for coming. <clears throat> but, can, can, I, can I just end off saying one thing? When I came to know Jesus, I started to realize that the world's value systems and God's value systems are diametrically opposed. So I wanted to chase fame and fortune all my life, and I ended up in a home for alcoholics and addicts. But as I started to walk with Jesus, I started to realize that the only thing that is of any worth to Jesus is that person in next to you that doesn't know him. That's the only thing you can take to heaven. So we try and build up fame and fortune, and it's worth nothing in God's eyes but that person next to you that doesn't know Jesus. And so it doesn't matter where we are or what we call to, that person sitting next to you at school or university in the office, he's the value that God wants you to take to heaven with you. So I just want you to encourage you. There's opportunities every single day to share the love of Jesus with those people that don't know him. That's so encouraging. Thank you.